0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody. Even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code Believe. BLEAV when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good. Good afternoon or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast. Live as always on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is episode 845, 845 episodes deep on the Take It Easy podcast, and we are so appreciative for each and every one of you. Who continue to stop in to this wonderful, fantabulous show that we keep producing with all of our friends. Razor Rosenthal is one of those friends. He's here today from Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official. Please support Razor's stuff. He hit on a bunch of picks during the Australian Open, and he's great with tennis and basketball and college or college basketball and college football and the NFL. And uh, we're gonna do the gambling preview because y'all love gambling. And Even though I don't love gambling, y'all love gambling here, and we can talk about this with the 49ers-Rams and the Chiefs and Bengals games coming up this weekend. I was going to do an A-block about the Rams because I find this team so fascinating, but then I realized one of our two options is either the Rams will lose on Sunday, and during the week in between the Super Bowl, we'll get to do the eulogizing of the Los Angeles Rams, or... The alternative option is that the Rams will win and then we'll get to tell this story way more in depth of the idea that three years later only Aaron Donald and Sean McVay are the constants of the Rams and they rebuild everything and capture lightning in a bottle again to make the Super Bowl with Stafford and a new running game and new receivers and all of that stuff. Yes, Cooper Cup was on the 2018 team, but he tore his ACL in the middle of the season. So I'm going to save that put it in my back pocket for next week's podcasts and Super Bowl week that goes two weeks long. But what I want to talk about here first is uh, something that happened in the NFL coaching cycle that I find pretty fascinating. And it's about the coaching hires that really don't matter. Like, three coaching hires appear to be done, although the Byron Leftwich thing is super fascinating with the Jaguars because it appears Leftwich wants to have... Adrian Wilson from the Cardinals be the GM of the Jaguars and fire Trent Balke, but then there's questions about who has a power in that organization and who is answering to who if Byron Leftwich is, is putting Adrian Wilson in a position of power, and all of it is very convoluted and complex, but it looks like Byron Leftwich is going to be the coach of the Jaguars, and I say this knowing that it's not official yet, but I find the Leftwich situation quite fascinating because Byron Leftwich three years ago, I just talked about how the Rams went in three years retooling their entire roster, keeping only Aaron Donald and Sean McVay. In three years, Byron Leftwich went from being the coordinator of the worst offense in the NFL to coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, having two top-ten offenses, And getting a head coaching job. Not a super desirable head coaching job. But the Jaguars do have Trevor Lawrence. And if I had to bank on the future of any quarterback that is not elite currently becoming elite. I think Trevor Lawrence is probably the bet most of us would make. Um, Maybe not for that organization. But we would bank on Trevor Lawrence being pretty good. And so the thing that I find fascinating with the left witch situation is in three years you go from being one of the worst coaches in the NFL to one of the best coaches And now you get to run your own team, a team that's closer to minor leagues than anything else, but still your own team. And this happened with the Bears. We embargoed the Chicago Bears two months ago. We won't talk about them seriously until September, but I could have said in September that you would have told us who they were going to hire and we could make an evaluation. Um, I'm tempted to just pretend as if the Bears haven't hired anyone and just not acknowledge that they've hired their head coach by the time you get to September. So I'll do that right now. I'll acknowledge that the Bears did indeed hire a head coach, but we won't talk about it seriously. And the Denver Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, who two years went as an offensive coordinator from a team that, you know, LeFleur is calling the plays, and Aaron Rodgers is a game manager to two MVP Aaron Rodgers seasons, and Nathaniel Hackett gets a head coaching job with the Broncos. Again, not a great head coaching job, which brings me to the point that I find fascinating about Eric Bieniemy, and not Eric Bieniemy from the standpoint of Eric Bieniemy being a black head coach, or I'm sorry, a black coordinator, not getting head coaching opportunities in a league that still currently only has one black head coach, Byron Leftwich would be number two, Gerard Mayo presumably with the Texans would be number three, unless the Texans hire Josh McCown with literally no coaching experience. All of it would be a conversation about race and the intersection in football and how representation within football is is not great. I mean, it's, I, I, I believe, gosh, I can't remember the commission, but someone graded the NFL as like a, a D in diversity hires in their sport. Baseball was just as bad as football. The NBA was slightly better, but still not great. And the thing that I find fascinating about the NFL is Ryan Poles, who's now the general manager of the Bears, I believe becomes the third Black general manager in the NFL, you know, let's get that number to eight, and then let's get that number to ten, and then we can start having a better conversation about it. But the thing I find interesting about BNME is from the Kansas City Chiefs standpoint of the Kansas City Chiefs have been allowed to remain intact for four years. Ryan Poles was the second in command for the Kansas City Chiefs during most of their run over the past five years with. Patrick Mahomes and so one of the things that I find interesting about Ryan Poles as the you know him leaving being the first uh him being the first Kansas City Chiefs person to depart from this intact thing as bienemy has been the coordinator for all four years and Steve Spagnuolo's been the defensive coordinator over the past two years one of the things that I find interesting is the Chiefs who have not had a better four-year run have also remained entirely intact from the coaching staff down to the roster. You haven't seen major players leave the Kansas City Chiefs over the past four years. Of the core guys, most of them have stayed together. You lose a I guess you lose a Sammy Watkins here and there and replace him with a Byron Pringle, but of the core guys, they've all stayed together. Chris Jones got extended, Frank Clark got extended, Honey Badger got extended. Um, On the offensive side of the ball, you obviously have Mahomes, you have Kelsey, you have Tyreek Hill, and the only thing that's really changed is having to retool the entire offensive line in one offseason. But the team has remained intact other than that which usually never happens. Usually at the first sign of success, two years with Dan Quinn, someone's picking Dan Quinn as their head coach in the Atlanta Falcons and a Seahawk is going to disappear here cuz Byron Maxwell is going to get traded and Michael Bennett's going to get traded and you're going to lose someone in free agency whether that's Jeremy Lane getting traded or what or losing Golden Tate in free agency like it never ends up happening where the team stays together like this, and the Kansas City Chiefs, one game away from the championship, again find themselves intact. Maybe Eric Bieniemy ends up getting a job, but again, if I'm Bieniemy, I would have turned down the Chicago Bears job. I would have turned down the Denver Broncos job. I'd certainly turn down the Houston Texans job, and... You know, maybe the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars would have been a great hire for him. He's obviously not going to anymore, probably. And the Saints are now available. Everyone's connecting the dots because Enemy is from New Orleans. But it looks like New Orleans is going to promote Dennis Allen, which, by the way, I prefer that more only so we can keep making the jokes that Dennis Allen looks like he always has sex in only a visor. But the point being there, I find it fascinating that the team has been allowed to remain intact in Kansas City for a four-year run of legitimate dominance i don't know if nathaniel hackett's going to work out with the denver broncos i don't think byron leftwich is going to work out with the jacksonville jaguars but he has a better chance because he's connected to that quarterback in trevor lawrence the jaguars again are running a minor league organization in the nfl the denver broncos don't even have an owner and they're hiring nathaniel hackett with George Payton calling the shots as a new general manager, because John Elway basically elevated from general manager to de facto owner and president of football ops, or really just running the entire organization. Um, And so George Payton hired Nathaniel Hackett for whatever his reasons might be. And Denver still doesn't have a quarterback and doesn't really have a path to acquiring a quarterback unless they draft one this year from what's regarded, according to our buddy Blake Jude, as a really weak draft class. I saw his first quarterback rankings and he had not a single quarterback that had a, a grade higher than a 90 when all five I think four of the five quarterbacks last year had grades higher than a 90 nobody in this year's class had a grade higher than a 90 so no real path to acquire a quarterback except Aaron Rodgers which for people connecting the dots of Hackett to Rodgers that one seems a bit extreme because the Denver Broncos wouldn't hedge an entire head coaching hire on Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers might be just do I mean unless they had direct connection to Aaron Rodgers about hiring Nathaniel Hackett it'd be quite strange if that's the decision making George Payton made in hiring Hackett knowing that Rodgers was if he knew Rodgers was coming but I think we would have heard about that by now the point there being is is all of these coaching hires are except, I mean, with Left Witch being the exception, you're hiring white guys for terrible jobs, but they're also coming from teams that don't have a proven track record of success. Yes, the Packers are great, but the fact that LeFleur has now a coaching tree between Nathaniel Hackett going down the line and the fact that the the Frank Reich coaching tree now, and Frank Reich's a branch off of Doug Peterson. But Frank Reich's coaching tree now has both coordinators from a team that went 8-8 eight and eight hired to hold two of the 32 jobs in the NFL. Nick Sirianni, white dude, it sounds kind of dumb, hired on almost entirely white staff, and Matt Eberflus going to coach the Chicago Bears. Are the Eagles and Bears great jobs? No, they're not great jobs, and maybe that's the best that they could possibly have done based on the options. I know Dayball is waiting it out for a better job at this point. Um, he, he turned down offers last year to go coach the Houston Texans. Uh, he might go to Miami out of all of this. I know that... Eric Biennemi should be turning down some of these jobs because he is too good for these situations. But what's fascinating is that it's been three consecutive hiring cycles where Eric Biennemi doesn't look like he's going to get a job. And despite that, the Chiefs still get to remain entirely intact because Spagnuolo's not taking jobs. He's been through this before. He came out of retirement for this job to coach with Andy Reid, to be that defensive coordinator. He's not looking to make the jump at this point. Reed is obviously in place. The the general manager was in place. They're now, you know, Ryan Poles is obviously going now, and maybe this is where things change for them because Mahomes is going to get that extension. But for four years, they got to keep that entire ship intact. And it's really fascinating as they get ready to go to their third consecutive Super Bowl. And if not for a D4 jump off sides, would have gone to four consecutive Super Bowls and have not had a better four-year run of success than any team in the NFL. It's fascinating that they've continued to remain together and nobody's really picked apart the pieces of that franchise yet. Maybe they'll do it in the near future. Ryan Poles is obviously a start because he's been second in command for the Chiefs for most of this time. But maybe the next step for the Kansas City Chiefs is a Bienemy getting picked off, or uh, the quarterback's coach. I believe his name is Coffey or Kaki, uh K A A K E or F E or something like that. Maybe he gets promoted to offensive coordinator, and then he gets fast tracked for a head coaching job. All of it is really, really interesting as the Kansas City Chiefs keep this ship intact on their way to go to a fourth straight. Well, no, third straight Super Bowl should be four. It's really, really fascinating to watch how the NFL moves on without them. And if you're not one of those great teams with a great head coach, you settle for an Eber Flus, a Nathaniel Hackett, or a Byron Leftwich as your head coach, none of which I think are actually great hires. Maybe I could be proven wrong because I don't know what makes a good head coach. I didn't go through the interview process with people, but it seems like these guys are not... It, especially Leftwich is the fascinating one, because as I mentioned, three years ago, worst offense in the NFL, three years later, being hired as a head coach. Let us commence with our gambling preview here this week with our buddy Razor Rosenthal here on the Take It Easy podcast, getting you set for conference championship Weekend to bet a lot of money and win a lot of money on some money line parlays uh, from one disgruntled Buffalo Bills fan and great gambling expert from Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official, and just a great friend of our show. We really appreciate everything that Razor does. So, with that being said, let us commence with our friend Razor Rosenthal. You guys know what that means. It's time to talk about Sheets and Giggles. Yes, Sheets and Giggles. It's a great name for a company. Sheets and Giggles makes 100% eucalyptus bedsheet sets, duvet covers, comforters, and throw blankets. They will make you fall in love with sleep. Eucalyptus is a miracle fabric that is super soft, temperature-balancing, hypoallergenic, and static-free. You will wake up feeling more alive than ever before. Trust me. Go to Sheetsandgiggles.com today and get the rest that you so richly deserve. Use our promo code take it easy for a ten percent discount on your purchase at Sheetsandgiggles.com. That's Sheetsandgiggles.com. Hello. I'm here, Kyle. How are you doing? I am doing fant whoop, muted myself. I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? recovering recovering what are you recovering from
1: i think i'm gonna give you one guess
0: hmm. this is tough because there could be the more serious one which is some sort of illness or coronavirus but then there's <laughs> the one of oh my goodness what the hell just happened this weekend so yeah at the risk of sounding uh, a little mean i'm gonna go with football i'm gonna say recovering yeah. from football
1: yeah we're recovering
0: uh from football. Luckily no no COVID issues here
1: in this household. We are recovering from what transpired in Missouri
0: on Sunday <laughs> night. Oh my gosh. Bill's mafia has to be heartbroken from that one. That had to be brutal. he uh, could break that down
1: in about thirty seven different ways, but yeah, it's uh it's what it's what happens to the Buffalo Bills.
0: Well, I guess that's kind of true, but the Buffalo Bills went from that period of always being terrible to now when they get there, they do kind of find ways to break your heart. And not just this year. Like I know people point to this one as like, you guys were great this year. And then you came just short and you weren't supposed to beat the chiefs. It's been like three years in a row with really like gut wrenching losses for the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs. Do you throw it all the way back to the 17 zero lead against the Texans? I think that one stands out just,
1: you know, as much as this one stands out. The the, the Texans game was a total debacle. Uh, You know, we really, really should have won that game uh, pretty easily, I thought, down in Houston. And that did not work out for the Bills. Last year was kind of a situation where happy to be in the AFC title game, even though the Buffalo Bills took a 9-0 lead early on in 2021, just never felt like they were the better team, clearly, than the Kansas City. Uh, going into this game four days ago, the Buffalo Bills had a great chance. And, you know, what we discussed on your podcast was, hey, you know, this is not the same the same value that I saw last year with Kansas City where, you know, I, I recommended playing the money line as heavy as you can when Kansas City was only minus 160 or 170. Uh, this time, I you know, it was a situation where, Uh, you you know, recommended Kansas city light on the money line. It's hard to go against Pat Mahomes on that short of number. They got home um, hard to say if they deserve to get home, the chiefs there, but you know, they did. And you know, it was a, it's a devastating loss for, for the Buffalo bills and their fans.
0: Well, this is the interesting part about generally in football windows last somewhere between three and five years. If you have that quarterback, obviously, Tom Brady is the great exception with having the fantastic coach and the fantastic quarterback. And, you know, the chiefs are going to be an exception to that role where they're always going to be great. But, you know, you start looking up at the Buffalo bills and think, why can't they continue to be great for longer? And I guess that's the thing that gives me pause is like Buffalo is going to keep being great. Yeah. The AFC has a lot of really good teams. Uh, I think like seven of the 10 best teams going into next year are probably in the AFC. But Josh Allen, I guess, kind of gives you pause. And I guess to a certain extent, the other talented players on the team. I know all of the great teams in the AFC have talented players, but I look at Buffalo and say, like, there's no reason they can't be great to very, very good for even the next three, four, five years.
1: They're going to be fine. I think uh, coaching on Sunday night played a little bit of a role there. You know, the Bills secondary, you know, is okay. It, it, you know, it's obviously ha- has its ranking of number one. Hard to believe after watching, you know, some of the performance there on Sunday night. Uh, the, 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 the coaching really needs to sit down and reflect on the major mistakes that were made on Sunday night. We could talk about the whole special teams fiasco with 13 seconds lef- left. And squib kicking the ball. That seems to be the most popular component to this. But I go back even further, Kyle. I go back to the play calling uh, after the first drive when the Bills went up 7 0. Very conservative play calling, uh, not getting the ball in the hands of your top wide receivers. Thank goodness for Gabe Davis, because Knox, for the most part, a no show but no bigger no-show than Stephon Diggs. And it was just a lot of short intermediate routes. Cole Beasley had a great game. You know, the biggest money I made this this weekend, Kyle, when I said I wasn't going to bet the Buffalo Bills game, I, I had no intentions to do so. But there was a Cole Beasley prop of over and a half yards. And that's where Kansas City really gets hurt are by these slot-wide receivers. That was the only play I've made on that game that hit very easily, but th- this this play calling was it was a disaster. You had jet sweeps to McKenzie, Singletary running the ball on third and three, Singletary running the ball on first and ten. I just felt like you know, with the secondary of Kansas City being so below average, the Honey Badger going down early in the game, the Bills really should have exposed that, and probably should have had a four to seven point lead at half where you don't have to keep playing comeback throughout the uh, duration of the second half. So a lot of questionable calls there. Obviously the offensive coordinator for the bills is probably out the door and going to get a head coaching job with all the rumors that are out there. But Leslie Frazier, man, I just, I wish, I just wish there was some better play calling on the defensive side as well. A tough loss, um, but we're on the Cincinnati, right? That's what uh, Bill Belichick would say a couple of years ago, and it's not Buffalo, it's Kansas City.
0: Well, before we move on to Cincinnati, I want to ask you about some of those head coaching moves just because we want to talk about it somewhere on the podcast. We need to lure this in, even if they're not really that relevant. Like, I think whoever the, the Broncos and Bears hire usually ends up getting fired at the end. But uh, it looks like Eber Flus is going to be the coach of the Bears. Nathaniel Hackett's going to be the coach of the Broncos. And Byron Leftwich is going to be the coach of the Jaguars. Do any of those pique your interest at all with the head coaching hires? Or are they just kind of you know first timers who might work out, might not? We just don't know.
1: Well, we could talk about Leftwich first. I think that's a you know the magical story. the The quarterback returns to Northeast Duval County, Florida, uh, where he was probably their you know one of their let say great. Uh, pickups, but he was their 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 QB one for, for a very long time. Um, he's proven himself. Obviously, the Tampa Bay offense has been fantastic. Let's see if that's a product of having uh, Tommy Brady, Mike Evans, God, Chriswin, and Antonio Brown, Gronkowski. I mean, he just has an array of weapons. Can he, you know, can he lead a team that is uh, somewhat in disarray on both offense and defense? I I hope he does. Seems like a very likable guy. The Marshall. Uh, legend. Uh, I think the most fascinating one is Hackett. Does Hackett bring to the table a chance to get Aaron Rodgers over to Colorado? Because I feel like that's one of the key reasons they brought on a Green Bay Packers assistant was in hopes that they would have a relationship with Rodgers. So uh, Hackett definitely intrigues me. Let's see if he has a bond with Aaron Rodgers to convince him to, to get over to Denver. And I feel like Denver, it's kind of the same thing where you have these quarterbacks that were so bad between Elway and Manning, and Manning comes in and brings them the spark they need, and they get right back to the Super Bowl and, and start contending back to back Super Bowls. A win over Carolina, a loss against Seattle. And I think Rodgers, you know, can almost do the same thing. This Denver defense has a lot of potential, and the running game, I think, I think, uh, I think Williams is going to be a great running back for the Broncos. I think Gordon's a nice secondary addition to them. And they do have some wide receiver talent. So this is not a bad team. This is just poorly coached and they've had some injuries. So Hackett is definitely intriguing to me as far as uh, the Bears uh, hire. I really don't know much about the the Colts assistant, but um, I know that that fan base is passionate and they want to get back to winning. So
0: that would be my take on those three jobs. The left, which one is funny because is he the greatest quarterback they've ever had in their franchise's history? No, it's Mark <laughs> Brunel. Well, it's Mark Brunel, but uh, you know, I, oh, I, I would have gone with David Garrard. Maybe
1: you can make an argument between uh, Garrard, uh the ECU pirate or Brunel, but I, I, I would lean Brunel. I would lean Brunel.
0: Yeah, uh, probably fair. It's just funny that now the Jaguars have had a long enough history that they can start bringing in uh, assistant people. They also apparently, they they haven't officially hired Leftwich by the time people are listening to this. Eberflus and Hackett are done, but they haven't officially hired uh, Byron Leftwich because apparently they are interviewing Vic Fangio for their head coaching (laughs) position today, which I have to say that would be funny as if you take the Broncos leftovers. And that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars become is Vic Fangio's six yards at a time offense. But um, the left, which one I just find fascinating because I remember when he had Josh Rosen, they were the worst offense in the NFL in Arizona. And then he goes to Tampa and now he's a hot coaching candidate. And that seems like a sign to me that probably not one of these magical seven coaches that we all know are really good. I know every team wants to try and find that one coach that is really, really good. It's really hard to find those guys. It seems like, you know, Leftwich, Eberflus, probably not those guys, but who knows? It could work out for those teams. Chicago and Jacksonville at least have a quarterback that they, the franchise has committed a lot to. So if that works out, it'll probably work out well for both of those guys.
1: You need talent, and you need a great QB. One, I, I don't, I don't really think coaching in the NFL makes a massive impact, except you know when there are key situations in the playoff games. But I mean, look at look at guys like Zach Taylor, who made so many questionable decisions over the last two years when he didn't have Joe Burrow in the lineup, and you know everyone was like, "This guy's terrible." And now he has a healthy Joe Burrow. He has a wide receiver that's going to be probably one of the best in the game over the next few years, and that changes the whole dichotomy of of this guy's legacy. So, um, I think coaching matters somewhat, but if you don't have a QB1 in the top 15 in the NFL, you're 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 going nowhere fast in my opinion.
0: You're probably right. And forget the last two years. I want I mean I said this a bunch of times now is that I would like to do a 2-hour podcast coming out of that divisional weekend just about the fact that's on the interception Tannehill threw at the end of the game that led to the game winning score. Zach Taylor tried to call timeout and the referees just didn't grant it to him in a 16, 16 game when they got the game winning interception, Zach Taylor either did his job poorly and didn't get the timeout off or got lucky and didn't get the timeout called. Um, and it ended up working out for the Bengals. See, so yeah, I have no idea if Zach Taylor's a good coach or not, but he's won a lot of games. So he'll probably get, Two years to to work that job. I think that's probably what this run buys him. Bought uh, Super Bowl. Bought Doug Peterson three years. So I think uh, this will probably buy Zach Taylor two years as a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
1: I think this, that that game was. Well, I'll tell you what a fascinating weekend that game. I I thought that that script in, in the Tennessee Cincinnati game was just as intriguing as Buffalo Kansas City, and that that Zach Taylor missed timeout is is probably one of the things that needs to be talked about the most, but of course, it's overshadowed by Buffalo, Kansas City.
0: Well, and the six dumb, dumber things that happened in the uh, the Rams Bucks game. like as dumb as the Zach Taylor thing is, like that was probably the seventh weirdest thing that happened in the Rams and Bucks game if you put all that together. So yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of chaos that happened after Bengals and Titans. Plus, Bengals and Titans was supposed to be the fourth best game of the weekend. It was insane, but it did happen to be the fourth best game of the weekend because, as, as crazy as the ending was to that game, it was a nineteen to sixteen stinker of a football game in the in between.
1: Yeah, we could we could dissect this game real quick. I think it all starts. The tempo starts with um, Ryan Tannehill. You know, just underperforming. Um, he had some great, he did have some great throws. I think that's something that people tend to forget. They're going to look at the interceptions, the interceptions that he threw were just piss poor. The two things that stand out to me that lost Tennessee besides the obvious, which are the interceptions. Uh, let's go to the two point conversion attempt early on in the, uh, you know, in the game, I, you know, it's, you could, you could look back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. But you have Derrick Henry who, you know, I was wrong. Derrick Henry was a no factor. He, he was not a hundred percent go that that was uh, a mistake because they had a good running game going without him. And I, I think they, they, they probably had to put him out there, rush him out there. And there just wasn't anything exciting about Derrick Henry. He did score but I believe he scored you know, inside the three-yard line. So I think any... Yeah, he yeah, averaged yeah.
0: Uh, three yards per carry in the game. 21 carries, 63 yards, three yards a carry.
1: Yeah, just uh, extremely underwhelming performance. Foreman probably should have been the guy all the way through. Maybe you rest Henry another weekend, and perhaps you get yourself a really healthy Derrick Henry playing against Kansas City. But... Uh, the, the the biggest thing that, again, not talked about enough because of all of the chaos in the other game in the AFC would be uh, towards the end, I think it was probably within six minutes left, uh, Julio Jones catches a pass for nine yards, places the Tennessee Titans at approximately the Cincinnati 35 to 40-yard line. Can't remember the exact distance, but it's right in that wheelhouse, 35 to 40-yard line, and you have three attempts to earn a first down. and. Cincinnati, excuse me, Tennessee does not. And I think, you know, when those things happen in these playoff games, you don't earn first downs on second and one and you go for it and you don't convert, uh, usually results in a bad situation. Their defense bailed them out and then Ryan Tannehill lost in the game. It was a bizarre situation. I don't regret betting the Tennessee money line, Kyle. I, I feel like we were on the right side there. Uh, I I did not play Cincinnati against the spread, so I didn't hedge at all. Um, I feel good about that bet. I really do. Ryan Tannehill provides just one interception, and Tennessee probably wins that game by four to six points if you take away one, or you take away two interceptions, that's even even a bigger margin because of how good that defensive front was against the Cincinnati offensive line. So, yeah, I, I think that game was bizarre. I don't know. Cincinnati did not win that game. Tennessee lost that game. So uh, the Cincinnati offensive line uh, definitely presents a lot of fear for me going into the Kansas City game. But, you know, Kansas City really didn't get a ton of pressure on Josh Allen. So let's see if they can pull that off um, against uh, Joe Burrow, who's certainly not as mobile as Josh Allen.
0: Well, let's move back on to Cincinnati since we put Cincinnati aside for a little bit earlier. Um, the the Bengals and Chiefs game currently, I see a seven point spread with our friends at Bet Online Sportsbook. So, um, what do you have going into the Bengals and Chiefs game as a gambling expert for Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official?
1: Yeah, this, is a, this, this game is, is going to be a situation where uh, I'm going to take Kansas City on the money line and be a little reluctant to take them straight up. I think I'm going to play them, not, not to you know, go ahead of myself, but I do like Kansas City uh, matched up with Los Angeles. I do think Los Angeles will win that game, and we'll talk about that soon. I'm sure. Um, I do like Cincinnati against the spread. So my 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 play here, Kyle, is to hopefully get Joe Burrow to keep this game close under the number. I do think Kansas City will be in trouble uh, if 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 they're able to just throw the ball across across the yard at all times, anytime they want. I don't know what the status of Honey Badger is, but I don't think Kansas City covers this number with ease. I think this is going to be a very difficult number for KC to, to cover with. Cincinnati won this game outright about five or six weeks ago. Give me Cincinnati. I'm going to buy the point to seven and a half, Kyle. We're going to make that minus 130. I'm taking Cincinnati plus seven and a half. I'm going Kansas City Rams money line. I'm not going to play San Francisco at all. So we're gonna we're gonna combine the two Rams and Chiefs. That's gonna get us to probably even money. So it's only about minus one ten if you combine the two on the money line parlay. But uh, Cincinnati scares me, and I wanna I wanna go ahead and and, and and hold on to some liability there and take the Bengals option.
0: Yeah, so it, does it give you better value if you play up the Cincinnati Bengals, or does that mean you're hedging more on your bet for the Kansas City Chiefs by buying up on the Cincinnati Bengals at plus seven and a half?
1: Yeah, I just don't I just don't want to see this. I want to buy up on a key number. The key numbers in gambling football are pretty simple. They are three and seven, so I, I just don't want to take the plus seven and watch Kansas City uh, win this game by seven, and it's going to be a push. So I feel better – about taking Cincinnati at plus seven and a half. And if I'm taking Kansas City on the money line in my parlay, hey, let's get a 35-28 final um, going into the Rams game. You know, Listen, if, if Cincinnati wins outright, then I know that I've already won my Cincinnati against the spread bet. We can cross out the Rams-Chiefs money line parlay and we can go straight into a Rams straight bet. So right now when I go into the Rams-San Francisco game, I'm either 2-0 and – potentially, or I've set myself up for one and one. So again, I'm trying to mitigate losing a lot of money. I like the value of Cincinnati buying the half a point.
0: And for me doing some kind of analysis on this game, because I'm a football expert, but I'm the kind of football expert that just likes to throw out the words too high safeties and make myself sound smarter than I am. But when I'm looking at the chiefs defense, like it mirrors the Titans so much in terms of, their strength is through the middle and pass rushing with edges and their corners are are not as great. The Titans have one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. If you take out Kevin Byard and their corners, I think Christian Fulton and Janoris Jenkins were their top corners this year. And the chiefs corners are down and obviously honey badger might be out in the concussion protocol. So it mirrors that so much and it gives me hope for the Bengals, but at the same time, The Bengals have only scored 19 points against the Titans and scored, what, I think it was 20 against the Raiders, maybe? I I don't remember exactly how many points it was. I know they won by seven, but... It, it gives me pause for concern that the Bengals won't be able to score points. And then, you know, at this point, you'd be hard pressed to see me say the Chiefs are going to struggle to score points against any defense at this point. So I guess that kind of leans me towards Kansas City in that way. But I understand that the Bengals are going to be able to move the ball down the field relatively easily on the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: From the 20 yard line to the 20 yard line, Cincinnati is going to move the ball. It's whether or not they can put it in the red area into the end zone and avoid field goals. That's where you have to be a little bit bit scared if you are a Cincinnati better at plus seven or six and a half or seven and a half, just depends on where you get your number. I think that's the biggest fear you have is can Joe Burrow, you know, inside the 20-yard line, score more touchdowns than he can field goals for this team that is a big question mark because they're not putting up a lot of points in their last two games uh the raiders and titans defenses aren't that great so they have had a chance to play against very average defenses and 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 probably underperformed and underwhelmed but what they're doing great are these huge plays like t higgins showed up last saturday and obviously jamar chase showed up against the raiders with big plays but those plays are 20 to 20, right? They're getting to the, to the two twenty yard lines. And that is not what it's going to take against Kansas city. Buffalo was 13 seconds away from winning that game because Kyle, they had how many field goals? I believe zero. They put up what seven touchdowns, whatever it may have been, you know, to, to get themselves in that position. You're going to have to score five plus touchdowns on Sunday afternoon if you're Cincinnati. So there's question marks there, and that's why I'm mitigating both sides. Hey, listen, if Cincinnati gets blown out, okay, bad bet, but we got KC money line, and we're going to try to roll this out with LA.
0: Well, let's talk about LA now, because uh, my mind does say the Rams are a better, more talented team than the 49ers, and at the same time, I've been saying for three weeks, I don't understand the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay thing, but there's something to it. Um, I I'm with you on the Rams side because I think the Rams are a better team and it's such a fascinating story for both of these teams to be back here when, you know, they were the two NFC champions overhauled their roster and now they're again back in this place, even without, you know, the Packers or the Bucks being at the end, which we all thought were the best teams at the start of the year. So I think I'm with you on the Rams side, but I'm interested to hear what your explanation is for it. Cause I feel like I'm blind. I'm putting blind faith in Rams are more talented. And as we saw this last weekend, that just doesn't matter at all in the NFL.
1: Well, I keep going against San Francisco this postseason, and I keep losing. Right. And I feel like eventually I'm going to get this right. Maybe I don't, maybe San Francisco wins the whole thing. Uh, you know, the, I, we talked about this now for a couple of times over the last few weeks on your show is Jimmy Garoppolo cannot give you four quarters of really quality quarterback play. It did not happen in Green Bay. It did not happen in Dallas. And, and I don't know if it's going to happen uh, at SoFi. I don't feel like it should happen. The one thing that I love about this game, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to bet heavy. It's not just the Rams money line. It's the Rams money line first half. The Rams are probably one of the best first-half teams in the NFL. San Francisco uh, obviously put on a really good show against Dallas, but overall San Francisco starts pretty slow. They didn't score a point last uh, Saturday night against Green Bay, and they probably will struggle in the beginning stages of this game against the Rams. I don't trust the Rams that much as far as the ability to blow situations. They have blown games. They blew the game against San Francisco Week 18. By all means, they deserve to lose that game last week. So what I feel more confident is, you know, McVay starting off with his game script, calling his first whatever it is, 15 plays are going to go the way he wants them to go. And then obviously everybody makes adjustments after that. Give me the Rams money line first half. It's probably selling at about minus 130, 135, whatever it may be. I like that value. Um, San Francisco is still really good. I mean, they they have the ability to stop this very, I guess, average Rams running attack. Cam Akers looked good, except the uh, the fumble issues, which were atrocious. I felt like it's time to, you know, maybe lean in the direction of Sony Michelle, who has New England Patriots experience in this situation, uh, as maybe a more of a force in lead back. He's not going to be as explosive, but Michelle isn't making uh, those same mistakes. The the Rams. Wide receiving core is just too good, I, I think, for San Francisco. I mean, you know, it's like all you got to do is show up for, you know, three and a half or four quarters, and they'll be fine because they'll maintain a lead, I think, just like they did Week 18. You know, if you can maintain this lead and still play at a high level, match points, maybe not outscore them in the second half, but match points, take that early early lead in the first half. The Rams are, go- are, are the better team. Are they going to win? Who the heck knows, but I'm going to go with the better team. I'm not, not, not necessarily better coached overall, top to bottom defensive front quarterback play wide receivers, the running game, probably obviously a heavier lean for San Francisco, but front four, the back end, it's all points to LA special teams, probably a wash. Give me the Rams in a de facto home game. Don't know if it's going to be a home game for the Rams, but I, I just like the value for both the first half and game.
0: Is it? I found it funny, and no one's talking about how the Rams would be the second team in a row to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. After you went yeah. 54 years without it, there would be two years in a row. Just, you know. That's how it works sometimes. Um, I think the Rams thing is fascinating because I was saying the whole way at the end of the Bucs game because the Bucs have a great rush. I mean, the Bucs have the greatest rush defense of the last 10 years. I would say in the NFL, they're so great with Vea and Sue both being generational talents. But if I'm the Rams, just do what you do best, which is what I like to call the Alex Smith offense which is just throw screen passes. When you're trying to call runs, throw screen passes. Set running backs at wide receiver and slot positions and throw screen passes because it's going to be a better way to move the ball 4 or 5 yards at a time than trying to run the football with a running game that, you know, isn't actually that good and it's interesting because we always associate McVay with all the great running teams and the Rams don't have that this year. The Rams got outgained in time of possession this year. The Rams don't run the football because that's what their personnel suggests is best for them. And shout out to McVay for being willing to evolve with that. But yeah, I'm with you on that. The 49ers secondary is is not great. Um, and you can kind of just spread the field out. And that'll, I guess, make life a little bit easier because you're going to have Josh Norman trying to make big tackles or fumbles or whatever Josh Norman's done this year, which I've gotten very mixed feelings from 49ers fans. Some people say Josh Norman's awesome. And some people say Josh Norman's terrible. I can't figure out if he's actually good or not for them. But yeah, I I would say the, the Rams use your weapons and use your skill position players to your benefit, whether that's Van Jefferson, Odell Cooper cup, like those are the best pieces you have anywhere on offense. The same way the Niners use Debo and Trent Williams and Kittle as a as most of their offense, I mean, not all of their offense, but most of their offense runs through those guys and they mix and match positions like just Rams do the same thing. Use screen passes instead of trying to power run or, you know, draw up more screen plays and draw up more out routes to Cooper Cup and things like that. Just use your best options to your benefit at this point. And, you know, the defense should do enough because the 49ers offense isn't actually that good.
1: It'll be really inter- interesting to see if Trent Williams is a full go. Uh, can you imagine if Williams is banged up or is a no go? I'm sure he's going to play. It's the NFC Championship game, but <laughs> what do you think? What do you? How do you think? Uh, you know, Donald and Floyd and 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 you know the the rest of that crew, which Von is Miller. outstanding. Von Miller, I mean, it just doesn't end. The the guys coming at him. Yeah, I, I I fully expect to see Jimmy G under a lot of pressure and potentially throwing balls that shouldn't be thrown. I'll give them a lot of credit. Uh, They played it safe. Jimmy G had just that one horrific interception at the end of the second quarter, which resulted into nothing because the Green Bay special teams uh, is not so special. So um, I I, I think that the Rams will put more pressure on Jimmy G than Green Bay did.
0: Well, this is an interesting thing that I've found, which is, the the Rams defense in that game was incredibly good. And one of the things that ended up happening for them once they started like falling apart with the lead was, oh, wait, Jalen Ramsey just got torched. Oh, dang, Aaron Donald isn't getting the same pressure on Brady and he's completing these passes over here, even though Brady had a terrible game. Um, and and for the 49ers, when I was watching that game against the Packers, they basically took away Jimmy G's throwing privileges after he threw the interception. It was just all screen passes or to Elijah Mitchell or like eight yard route to Kittle every now and then until the last drive. Once they got it close, I think Jimmy went like five for five on the final drive of the game that ended up beating the Packers with the field goal. So they're going to disguise him the entire game until you know, I guess if they have a lead or if they keep it close, then they can't hide him all the way through. They're going to ask him to make a play here or there, which Jimmy G's good enough to do it. He's just not good enough to do it for an entire game against the best defenses in the NFL. So, you know, 49ers are going to be strategic with that. But yeah, I imagine it's going to be a lot of Trent Williams at fullback, Debo at halfback. I thought when Debo got hurt in the game against the Packers that George Kittle was going to play halfback. Because that's kind of their best option is put most talented people in the best places. So I assume that Debo Kittle and Trent Williams will be involved in 75% of their offensive plays in this game.
1: Well, I tell you what, how much confidence do you have in Garoppolo on third and eight, you know, at the Green Bay 40? And you just, it's a great play call. I mean, hindsight, you know, always the case if Debo Samuel gets stuffed and only gains one yard
0: oh is this uh, the Sam, is this the draw play that you're this, talking this, about yeah,
1: yeah yeah I mean yeah, so the, if, 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 if you had a great quarterback that you have confidence in to make this 10-yard pass or beyond that the, there's no way any team runs the ball in that situation
0: right but you have a Freddie Kitchens does Freddie Kitchens Freddie always Kitchens, runs yeah. the ball always calls draw plays on third and 10 that's the Freddie <laughs> Kitchens specialty <laughs>
1: Freddie Kitchens was a great quarterback at Alabama. Now he looks, you know, like he's—I don't even know what he looks like now. My God. Well, um, I, anyway. I
0: know he—he he replaced Jason Garrett with the Giants, but I assume he doesn't have a job right now because that whole coaching staff got fired. But. Uh, yeah, no, that was, that was a rough time. It was a rough time oh. in the Freddy Kitchens uh, era of Browns football. But anyways, I cut off your point there to make a Freddy Kitchens joke. Sorry.
1: <laughs> well, nobody cooking in the Freddy's kitchen, I'll tell you that. That was a, that was a, oh gosh. Anyways, uh, yeah, it just, just goes to show that, hey, listen, again, great play call by the Niners, Shanahan. Uh, I don't think anybody saw that coming, even the Green Bay Packers, where you're going to run the ball on third and eight at at the Green Bay 40 if he gains a couple yards. Do they go for it? I don't think they do. I think Shanahan was just going, hey, yeah, we get seven yards. We'll go for it. If we get stuff, we're going to punt. And if we really get lucky and throw them off guard, Debo is going to get us 11, 12 yards, which he did. Um, But what he's saying to me is, yeah, we're just not going to let Jimmy throw this because I'm worried, worried about an incompletion that stops the clock. We punt the ball and Aaron Rodgers will have what, like, you know, 68 seconds to go down the field for a Mason Crosby attempt. And it also probably shows me that, this guy may throw an interception if they blitz and put us, you know, put him in a bad spot. So um, I, I just don't know how you can continue to get away with average quarterback play uh, for so long. And the only team that I can remember doing that and getting to the Super Bowl, I think, was Jerick Goff in the LA Rams. Ironically, you know, because Goff had some brilliant moments that year, but in the playoffs, I mean, he looked pretty average or even below average, especially in that NFC title game in the Superdome when they got so lucky to beat the Saints. So, you know, I, I, I just don't have enough faith in Jimmy G, but here I am continuing to say this on your podcast and losing money the last two weeks on those Cowboys and Packers games. But I'm going to keep going with my gut and hope that the Rams front four take it to them and take care of business.
0: Well, this is something I've tried to figure out over the past couple weeks and really more so this week because I have to contemplate the possibility that the 49ers are going to play in two Super Bowls in three years. But the only exception, I mean, we know now Jared Goff is an average to below average quarterback. That was more so like having Todd Gurley in your backfield is going to make your job a whole lot easier. Um, But at the same time and having Cooper cup who got hurt that season for the Rams. But uh, the the point there was the 49ers are the great exception that proves the rule that everyone needs a great quarterback to get deep into the playoffs is that when push comes to shove, having an elite quarterback or elite quarterback type like Aaron Donald is going to, Be your difference maker once you get deep into the playoffs. And the 49ers are this exception because, like, they did the same, they captured the same magic the Legion of Boom did, where they got like five all pro players all on rookie contracts. And that magic made it so that they could just have stability at the quarterback position. They would be good enough to, you know, pull off an upset here and there with the help of a blocked field goal and a blocked punt for touchdown and the Packers, you know, Aaron Rodgers throwing four inches to the right of Aaron Jones on a pass right before half that would have gone for a touchdown. And, you know, Matt LaFleur punting on fourth and two at midfield, all of it just kind of added up to them winning that game in a weird way. But it's not like they haven't won weird games in the past before this. They've just built this formula that no one else has been able to capture because no one else has that many talented players on rookie contracts.
1: You make yeah av- excellent analysis there. San Francisco, over the last few years, you know their Super Bowl run, losing to Kansas City this year. I, I can't recall a team that that exactly portrays what you just described, and, and more importantly, Jimmy Garoppolo being, in my opinion, a very solid quarterback that is just and not elite, you know, he makes, he makes elite throws at times when it really doesn't count, but when, when it counts and and, and the pressure's on and he, and they're down by 10, I, you know, or down by seven, I just, he's not there, but San Francisco, except for this green Bay game, you know, you know, play has played with the lead, you know, in the, in, in big spots. Right. I mean, they played with the lead for most of their Super Bowl run. They played with the lead, Against the Dallas Cowboys in the Wild Card game, so I'll be curious to see what Jimmy G does if L.A. gets on them heavy in the playoffs. Now, again, down seventeen nothing four weeks ago, and that was a big game, you know. So I, I want to see what Jimmy G could do down fourteen in the NFC Championship game with a ton of pressure on the line. But let's look at the last five years of quarterback play in the Super Bowl. Goff probably the most average quarterback of all of them. Jimmy G, I think, is better than Goff and anyone well, else. Well,
0: well, Nick Foles also won a Super Bowl, but Nick Foles also needed the greatest offensive line ever mm-hmm. assembled in the history of football yeah, to do you,
1: it. You can make an argument that Nick Foles at that time was playing much better quarterback play
0: than Jared Goff, uh, yes. in my opinion. I, th- I, I think mean, that's he, a very fair assessment. Yes. Yeah,
1: I mean, he was playing great in that playoff run, and, and I don't think Goff really put up those kind of numbers. I don't remember if Garoppolo did when they made their run to play Kansas City. That was a great Garoppolo had
0: the one amazing drive against the, the Minnesota Vikings where he went like eight for nine for 80 yards and scored a touchdown. But yeah, other than that, they just ran the ball the entire game.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just not that impressive quarterback play, but it, you know, listen, it doesn't matter. You know, here he is. This is a guy that has had a lot of success in his career. He's been a Super Bowl champion under Tom Brady. He isn't, he's, uh, he has been to two NFC title games. And you have to give this man a lot of credit despite not putting on big performances. But I think it ends. I think it ends for Garoppolo. I think he's, he's done. And let's hope we cash some tickets. This Sunday in the NFL,
0: credit to Jimmy Garoppolo for getting to this point again. And in both of the times that you beat the Packers, basically not throwing a single pass for two consecutive quarters. Credit to Jimmy Garoppolo for that. And also, even if the 49ers win on Sunday, even if they get to the Super Bowl. And say they miraculously beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl uh, because there's no way they can beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But say they miraculously win the Super Bowl, they should still move off of Jimmy Garoppolo. (laughs) They should still move on to Trey Lance if they believe Trey Lance is still better than anything Jimmy Garoppolo has ever been. So don't compromise the future there. Razor, I appreciate it as always. Uh, best of luck to you uh, again. Rams first half, I believe it's somewhere around 140. Just to follow up, it was hard to find a reliable number on that one, but I think somewhere around 140 for Rams first half uh, money line. So you
1: got it. Yep, you got it. That's that's my my favorite play of the weekend will be the Rams money line first half. Also, the Australian Open uh, doing great down under. I know tennis is uh, not the most popular sport to bet, but it's not that hard if you know these players, and we have a big pre-flop plus 380 on the number one seed to win it all, Ashley Barty Party. She is in the final. She's going to take on the American Danielle Collins tomorrow night. She's minus 450 to win the match, but I got her on the pre-flop at plus 330 two weeks ago before the tournament started. So feel really good about that. BeerLife.com, ton of great content. You can subscribe for $50 per month for incredible handicapping from the Oracle. He's going to provide the NBA, NCAA basketball, and the NHL. And, of course, my tennis plays throughout the year will be on there as well. And, Kyle, again, I always appreciate you having me on your podcast. And let's talk Super Bowl. Let's talk title games down the road.
0: Absolutely. We look forward to it sometime down the road. It's going to be a party the next two weeks, trying to bring all our friends in here for the Super Bowl. So we look forward to talking to you then.
1: All right, buddy. Take care.